Services Rendered, A Good Omens Botvik, written by Sodium Aside and read by Charp. Summary Maggie's service does not have a grandfather. That's fine. Conveniently, there is someone available right across the street who has known the service women for the last three generations, and that's more than good enough. No one knew who her mother had been, so the first of the family was Magdalene Service. The nuns gave her the name when she had been left on their convent porch in an old feed bucket. Presumably, it had been meant to keep her humble. They taught her to read, to write, to clean, and to always remember that she was sinful in the eyes of the Lord. She left as soon as she could, chasing the hope of happiness in a quick wedding to the butcher's son, but soon enough he was called to the front lines of the Great War, and shortly after was holding a letter and her pregnant belly, and was again wearing the name she had hated, but now as a service widow. The pension wasn't much, but she wasn't welcome back with the nuns, and the world was a cold place for a woman alone. She snuck out before rent was due on the cottage she couldn't afford, carrying what she could, and made her way to London, hoping for anything. The hope didn't last long. It might have gone very badly for her if she hadn't had the rotten luck to have a water break on the street in front of God and everyone. The pain was sharp but endurable, but the mortification was not. There was nowhere to go, but the baby was coming, and all she could do was cry. Most of it was a blur later, but she remembered soft hands and soft words and being carried, and even though the hospitals were all full up and most stayed home with midwives, she was given a bed of her own and a doctor and a nurse to help, and through it all there was a strange man with fluffy white hair holding her hand when the pain got bad. It went on for ages, and he distracted her by asking about everything she liked best. Between contractions, she babbled about music for hours, and he chatted right back, and whenever he smiled particularly widely, the pain seemed to ease. Her daughter was born healthy and wailing, and after the mess and mass was over, and her new baby was held safe, Magdalene's service gathered her courage and offered her up, asking for mercy, and that she would do anything, anything, if her daughter could be fed and cared for. The strange man drew himself up, and she knew he was dreadfully offended, and waited silently for him to storm out, but he settled like a bird with ruffled feathers, took a breath, and asked what would help. Well, she needed a place to stay, and a way to feed and clothe them both, obviously. She held her daughter close, hoping that if he agreed to take her, 
that maybe he would permit Magdalene to visit sometimes, or at least see her from a distance. She fell asleep at some point, and deeply, and when she woke up, the man was there again, with a notary, a lawyer, and papers. By the end of the day, Magdalene's service was the official tenant of one Mr. Fell, Esquire. Mr. Fell, Esquire, who of course as a man had his name on the deed, was even stranger the longer she knew him. Her rent was inverted, first of all. He had declared that, as a patriot, he was morally obliged to support the troops, and, as she was a war widow, that his support would be to her as an intermediary. He paid her her rent promptly on the first of each month. She had a small flat of her very own above an empty shop, with plenty of space for herself and the baby, while they planned the business. The gramophone was taking off, and Magdalene's service was certain that everyone would want music in their own homes, and a lot of it, and the best way to get it to them was to advertise. Mr. Fell took her at a word. By the time her daughter was walking, the little store was sliding seventy-eights out the door almost as fast as the shallow could be pressed. There was money to spare as the years went on, but her daughter was grown almost before she could blink, and it was enough to turn her hair grey. Her daughter laced around with the musical riffraff. All of the musicians who scraped their money together to buy the occasional disc and swore they would make it big one day, but not enough to bother to practice their instruments. Her daughter went from sass to truancy, and one day there was only a note on her pillow saying that she had run away to chase her dreams of being a star. Mr. Fell held her while she cried, assured her that things would turn out for the best, and agreed to watch the shop while she tried to go try to find her daughter, who had learned her letters on his knee in his bookshop across the street that never had any customers. Magdalene's service shut up her shop and followed rumors and gossip across the country, searching for blue eyes like her own. She was unsuccessful. She came home after two years, slump-shouldered and quietly retired. She cooked for Mr. Fell teaching him to bake and making his tea the way he liked, and they kept company in the evenings, chatting about books, and sometimes his even stranger dark friend would join them, and they would all have wine instead, and fiendish jokes that the Catholic schoolgirl inside her still fluttered over, but the woman of the world laughed at to the point of tears. Mr. Fell didn't play music when she joined him, although she knew he did so when he was alone, and she could barely stand how dearly she appreciated and loved the strange man, who looked just the same as he had when she was a young woman so many years ago. 
Much later, a hard-eyed woman walked into Mr. Feld's bookshop with a baby on her hip and asked if her mother's shop was available to rent. Mr. Fell looked at her for a long moment and quoted her somewhat above the market price, pending a trial period. The woman wondered to herself over the coming months and years if he had led it to her because of her mother or because of her daughter, because it certainly wasn't for her own sake. Nevertheless, bitter as she was, this was the life she had, if not the one she would have chosen, and she knew deeper than her bones that Mr. Fell was trustworthy and would never hurt her. He might still be holding a grudge and was distant, but still fair. She couldn't find it in herself to apologize, not that she owed anyone an apology who was still alive, but she still remembered how to reach his soft heart. She asked him to look after her daughter when the shop was busy. She lifted up her baby, blonde curls everywhere, and swallowed before helping her wave her chubby fist. Say hello to Mr. Fell, Maggie. He agreed instantly. The shop did miraculously well for years at a time, even when the woman didn't bother much with getting the best inventory. As Maggie grew, she was better at remembering where everything was, and the minutiae of musical trivia and details that customers demanded. Her sons, Maggie's brothers, were less devoted, more rambunctious, but it all turned out fine. Maggie spent her time ricocheting between the aisles of records and aisles of books across the street, and sometimes took refuge from her brothers in the quiet company of the man who was not her grandfather. She knew he wasn't. Her mom said so, said she didn't have a grandfather, and that her grandmother was dead. Still, he was really good at playing pretend with her when she asked, and he had known her grandmother, so it almost counted. The man, who was not her grandfather, told excellent stories and had an excellent lap for reading in. If you asked him very nicely, he would read things to you. If you were very lucky, he would even read things out of his mind. He had all of Winnie the Pooh in his head, and if she had a headache and her eyes hurt, he would cuddle with her in the dim room and recite the stories from the hundred acre wood and pat her hair, and soon enough she would feel better. They celebrated with Coco, she and the man who was not her grandfather. When Maggie did very well in school, she would bring her reports to show her mother, and then she would run across the street to show the man who was not her grandfather, and they would have biscuits about it, and close the shop so that no one could intrude on Maggie time. Maggie loved having time of her own. He would tell her stories, sometimes about people she didn't know, and sometimes about her grandmother, and they would listen to music. 
He taught her about old songs, and she taught him about new ones. When Maggie was grown, she had spent quite some time away at school, and was a bit awkward around the man who was not her grandfather, who seemed just as awkward. She was trying to be a grown-up and a responsible business owner of the old record shop and keep a good business relationship with her landlord. He was seemingly trying to be a respectful person and a responsible landlord and keep a good business relationship with his tenant. Neither of them knew how to do that when they were both used to quilts and cocoa with marshmallows and warm jumpers on cold nights. She had missed him, and still missed him, even though she was trying so hard to be an independent woman of the world. She missed the man who was not her grandfather. Maybe once she was brave enough to ask out the cute girl at the coffee shop, she would find the guts to ask him for hugs again. He still gave her Christmas gifts, and amazingly her rent stayed the same as it had been for her mother back decades ago. She wore the jumper he had given her the first holiday after she had taken over ownership of the shop, with the pretty flowers and birds almost every day. Even after laundering, it smelled like him. She hoped one day she would have the courage to ask him for a hug again, to enjoy how he smelled the same as always, like safety and sanctuary and music, the man who was not her grandfather. The end.